Join culture creator Ramel Wallace, museum CEO Micah Parson, philanthropist Erwin Jacobs, and urban agriculturist Diane Moss on season two of Stop and Talk, a podcast about the future of the San Diego region. How can we create a vibrant region that celebrates our cultural richness and economic strength? Find out and hear other San Diego experts on Stop and Talk. Discover seasons one and two now at stopandtalkpodcast.com. That's stopandtalkpodcast.com. This podcast is brought to you in part by the estate of Bob Nelson. Bob was a lover of all things San Diego and a longtime supporter of Voice of San Diego and its podcasts. We at Voice of San Diego are honored to have his support during his lifetime and continued support through his estate planning. Welcome to the Voice of San Diego podcast in partnership with News Radio 600 Kogo. I am Scott Lewis, the CEO and Editor-in-Chief at Voice of San Diego, and I'm glad to be back and joined, as always, by fellow managing editor and my longtime co-host, probably going on 10 years on this pod, Andrew Keats. What's up, Andy? How you doing, pal? Very well, thank you. And Andrea Lopez Villafaña, she's also managing editor for Daily News here at Voice of San Diego. What is up, Lopez? Hey, Lewis. You going to stick around 10 years, too? Yep. All right. Book it. Coming up on the show this week, County Supervisor Nathan Fletcher's admission that he had consensual interactions with an employee of the Metropolitan Transit System and her response, her complaint, her lawsuit, that it was actually instances of harassment and assault have created a bomb of a scandal with a blast radius that could still consume many, many other public officials. We're going through that and trying to understand just how far it goes. First off, is at MTS. Who knew what and when at MTS? The Metropolitan Transit Systems Board met in closed session Thursday. We'll go through what we know and what we learned after that. And with Fletcher's imminent resignation from the Board of Supervisors, the board must determine how it will replace him and how to elect a new representative for that district or appoint somebody to that spot. We'll recap what we know and what challenges are ahead for the county. And these kinds of civic disruptions often thrust people into the spotlight and offer them a chance to either lead or wilt under the heat. San Diego City Councilman Stephen Whitburn is there, and he was already in the middle of the city's homelessness crisis. He's now charged with leading MTS through this crisis. And last week, he lost his chief of staff to a different scandal. We'll go through that. It's a big show. Stay with us. But first, we are still raising money for the spring campaign. I've gotten a lot of feedback from people about the podcast recently, how valuable it's been for all these scandals and dilemmas and Mm -hmm. crises that the city is going through. We are excited to um, keep doing that sort of work and putting it in your ears every week. But that takes money and we need to raise it. We need lots of money and quickly. So please send us those uh, checks, those online donations uh, you know, if you need to send us some Bitcoin or something, we can, we can figure that out. Uh, <laughs> thanks to many of you who have mentioned the podcast specifically. Uh, we'd like to uh, give a shout out to a couple people here. You want to help me with this? Yeah, yeah. We've got uh, Melissa Stainer, Michelle Mead, Sophia Frost, Jill Kent, Kathy Herder, Ooh, and Nancy Von Newman. Yeah. 
That's awesome. You have all made a huge difference to our organization and the show. Every donation counts, no matter how small, how big. It all matters uh, as we make our goal possible. You know, trying to raise $100,000. If you have 100 people give you $1,000 or 1,000 people give you $100, all the same, it works out. So please help us get there. We have a lot of ground to make up before our fiscal year ends at the end of June. If you haven't donated yet, you can still do that. Uh, and voice members get free access to the next live podcast. So donate at vosd.org slash pod people. If you are interested in that live podcast, we are going back to the Whistle Stop Bar in South Park. It will be in May. Stay tuned for that date. But donate at vosd.org slash pod people. That's vosd.org slash pod people. I had this experience where I was, I, I read the lawsuit mm-hmm. and uh, I looked through it and there was this, this particular couple of days in December. So there's December 1st where uh, Nathan Fletcher, county supervisor and chair of MTS is overseeing the board and leading the board at MTS uh, through a, a regular meeting. Mm-hmm. And he, according to this lawsuit, during the meeting, starts texting one of the MTS employees, Grecia Figueroa, right? And he says to her, meet me in the conference room over here. Now, she says in her complaint, her lawsuit, that she went to meet him after the meeting mm-hmm. and got in there. And he, as you guys described last week, uh, you know, various... Uh, Groping and uh, uh, she says a sexual assault. We need to get into the specifics. Uh, she doesn't like it. She gets out and, mm-hmm. and leaves. The next day in the complaint, she describes that uh, they were at a press conference where she was up at the lectern mm-hmm. and he was uh, nearby and he grinned at her. And and she described it as like um, expressing or like sort of asserting his sexual dominance over her. Mm-hmm. Now, I didn't understand that when I read that. Um, I later talked to my wife and she's like, yeah, I know exactly what she means. Yeah, I by did describing too. <laughs> that. And you, yeah. Okay. So I didn't, but I, I was like, well, let me, I wanted to see, I, could, I bet we can find a video. And sure enough, the video of that press conference was on his YouTube page. And there is a moment where she's up there translating for a guy from Argentina who is receiving these wagons that the uh, Metropolitan Transit System is donating to Argentina. And he's thanking everybody for how well kept they are. And Trolleys. It's, it's, yeah, the trolley cars. Yeah. And uh, by the way, this guy has got a great mustache, a great Argentine accent, right? Yeah, we love his Spanish. And, in, and she's translating for him. And he's talking. And at one point, uh, Nathan leans back in his chair and he does give a very like vivid smile sustained sustained smile at her trying to get her attention right Mm -hmm. and you can see in the video that she at one point does look at him Mm -hmm. looks back and doesn't reciprocate and he sort of like melts away from that smile right and I, I think like it was just this it's one of these normal things you would never look at at a press conference like that, you would never notice it. But to look at it now, knowing the tension in the air mm-hmm. and what's being, what was later alleged and what, what happened the day before between those two. What that look communicates knowing what happened the day before. Or at least what she says happened. And it was just a, yeah. it's just an incredible like 
just visual of 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 how tense and weird this got. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that is just one of the many things we have processed since last week with this scandal, which I think is fair to say its biggest public interest center is at MTS, right? Yes. If we go through the three things or the two or three things that are of the most public interest at this point, one is what happens at, at, at to him. Does he stay in the job? Uh, does who? How is he replaced? Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, but the other, this was a workplace. This is an allegation of sexual harassment and assault at a workplace, a public agency, mm-hmm. and uh, and and an allegation that she was fired because of that sexual harassment mm-hmm. and uh, uh, and assault. And it was alleged to have come from the board chair of the public agency. Yeah. So not just that it happened at a public agency. And as we discussed last week, like that would mean that other managers were involved in either conspiring to have her fired or firing her because of the outcome of what she experienced or what. I don't know. And so it became very clear, Andy, that the biggest scandal now is what did MTS know when did it know it? And are they going to do what they have to do to be transparent and accountable for how this whole situation was managed? Yeah. And so we started, uh, you know, they, they initially said, uh, we're doing an investigation, which seemed hasty, uh, uh, just on account of I've seen other scandals that needed an investigation to be voted on. Yeah, let me give <laughs> you a shout out for a second. Okay. You were the first, I think, of anyone to recognize that on, uh, that this was not an investigation and that maybe this deserved a real independent investigation. So t- what did you first notice? Well, so they said there had been investigation like, the, the first day. They said, we've already started an investigation. And just going through the 101 Ash Street scandal, the Sandag scandal. Pension scandal. The pension scandal. The investigation requires a distinct action usually by a city council or a board saying, we're going to spend some money to bring in some group from outside. Usually there's a whole discussion around it and outlining the parameters of what they'll look at. All of which was like, how did, wait, on on the first day of this, the, the agency itself just can say offhandedly, there's an investigation that's already underway, was all new to me. I, I had no idea how that could be the case. So we asked MTS, Wait, what do you mean there's already an investigation? At which point they said, well, we have a law firm that handles all of our employment matters. And as part of their legal response to this lawsuit, they'll investigate to see where the liability is and what damages may be present. Which, like, instantaneously I was like, oh, so you mean you'll have your own legal defense? Which, by all means, you should have your own legal defense. It certainly seems like you're in a very sticky legal situation here, but that's not an investigation in terms of what we mean from outside the, mm-hmm. the agency wanting to understand who knew what, when, and what they did with that information. Mm-hmm. And so we now know that, you know, uh, not because a lot of MTS members made a big public stink about wanting this investigation. In fact, we e- emailed all 15 board members and uh, 12 of them just ignored us. Uh, another two sent us uh, responses at 7 p.m. Friday. Yeah, it was an unfamiliar. They it was a unexpected demand from you, from us, 
that they consider an independent investigation, a truly independent investigation that we could see. Because if you do a, de- a defense of your agency, that's not something you're going to share with us. That's <laughs> that's something you're going to use to defend yourself from this lawsuit. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and so, and then a, a couple more after that story came out on Monday, a couple more after the fact said, yes, in fact, we would like a public investigation. Um, and then this morning, they, um, the MTS board led by acting chair Stephen Whitburn held a closed session meeting um, and they did green light an investigation. Um, they will hire an outside counsel to c- conduct an independent investigation and report its findings directly to the board. Um, I'm reading this from uh, Brian Pepp, and he's a council member in Poway. Uh, he's actually a, a, a alternate board member who was at the board meeting today. It's quite a first nice. meeting to show up at. Yeah. yeah. Um, yes. So he, he what's tweeted, going on? He tweeted this. Uh, they'll begin the, they'll begin immediately, and it is the board's intent that the findings be made public. Seems to be embedded in there some acknowledgement that that might be easier said than done and that is another thing that we have seen in the past uh how much of the information comes becomes public when an investigation is completed um and the board has instructed council to reject any request to indemnify or defend nathan fletcher yeah so just to put a point on that they're saying that he's on his own he will have to pay his own legal defense in this matter And I think it's yet another indication about how severe these allegations are. Yeah. He he has said they were consensual interactions. Mm -hmm. Right. But just admitting a consensual interaction with an employee at MTS who was then fired, and we still don't have... Okay, this was the other thing that came out since the last podcast which was MTS released a statement about her, right? Yes. And why she was fired. They said they fired her because of um, ongoing... Oh, performance. Performance (laughs) concerns. Performance concerns. Yes. Which which we've argued and you've argued that that's not the reasoning they think it is. Like, that doesn't explain everything because if her allegations are true that she was being harassed and assaulted by the chairman of this board, well... Yeah, obviously she'd have a little trouble focusing on work. Yeah, it would it would change the circumstances under which you perform your job. Yeah. And it would make it uncomfortable. I mean, I always try to challenge men to think about it if a man was doing it to them, right? Mm-hmm. Like if a man was, you know, uh pulling you aside, assaulting you, sending you text messages, reminding you to come by, like that would make your life hard. And so I'm not sure there's even a distinction between was she fired because of the relationship or the the because he wanted her fired mm-hmm. or was she fired because of her performance concerns if all those things were happening right it's still it's almost one in the same it's mm-hmm. like yeah. I, I think that the question then becomes what what did they know what did those managers know and what were they trying to do with her firing was it really as you said last week this incredible coincidence that they were going to call their high functioning organization of a mediocre or low performing employee uh, at the same time that that exact employee was experiencing this sexual uh, assault or harassment, or as he says, consensual interactions, or 
was it something worse? Right. And so it gets back to that main question of what did they know when? And we learned a little bit more about that as well. Yes. Let's do a little timeline. She was fired on February 6th. Uh, on February 17th, the lawyer, her lawyer, uh, an employment attorney who is a plaintiff's attorney, usually for people in situations like this, uh, sends MTS a letter. And we, we obtained that letter first and published it. And it says you need to retain all your documents about this issue. It's 13 pages. And it said, uh, including among that, that uh, uh, we are going to pursue potential legal claims against Fletcher, against MTS, including allegations that you, this is MTS and Fletcher, discriminated against Ms. Figueroa, sexually harassed Ms. Figueroa, sexually assaulted Ms. Figueroa, and retaliated against Ms. Figueroa because she complained or otherwise protested against sexual harassment that was perpetrated against her. This was February 17th, six weeks before... All of this exploded. They knew about this. They had this. It's a long time ago. Now, they had said to last week when this all came out, they said the filing of Ms. Figueroa's lawsuit on March 28th was the first time that MTS executive management was provided with the specific details of Ms. Figueroa's allegation. That's one of those like not lies it's, that's kind of a lie. It's just like it's just a, like a lawyer going through it and being like, we said specific details. Yeah. Put, tell me where the lie is. Yeah. There's no specific details in here. Like. They outlined specifically what they were going to be alleging and suing for, just not the specific the details of the of that harassment and assault. It's a, I mean, like they didn't see the DMs at that point. Think about it this way: saying. had that letter become public back on February fifteenth, would people have felt like we were like that there was this great mystery about what was being alleged that occurred? Now, there would be some things we would want to understand, some things we would certainly want to sort out uh, about the relationship, about the interactions. No question. But we'd have a pretty firm idea about what she was saying happened to her at what agency with which board member, right? Like, there's a lot of specifics in there, really. Yeah. Now, they got this letter. Yeah. It says you know, all these things about what they're going to sue about, about the chairman of the organization. Mm -hmm. And what does MTS do? Do they tell the board? No. no. The board members all say that the board had no idea yeah. about any of this until they read it in the media. Yeah. And some of them seem quite furious about that. Yeah. And, like, <laughs> you know, it, it, people feel very... Uh, proud of themselves by being glib about these sorts of things and assuming that everyone is lying about everything, and may maybe they are, but it would be it'd be quite a thing for the board members to have actually seen this letter and all say publicly that they had not. Mm -hmm. Right? You know, if anyone has has evidence to the contrary, please bring it forward. But at this point, we have we're left to believe that they really didn't know about this situation for. Many weeks, six consecutive weeks. And so why weren't they told? Well, not only that, but also, why did they not begin an investigation then? Yeah. Yeah. This is a woman <laughs> who has said, I was assaulted. I was an employee was of an em your agency. I was an employee. I was Which, assaulted. by the way, they can do this in closed session like they did today. Yes. This doesn't all have to happen in public. They could say like, hey, we've, this has come up. Yeah. It's, it seems somewhat serious. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. 
maybe we should look into it. Yeah. And there's no indication that they did that at all. Yeah. And now they're going to pursue that. So, yes, uh, my understanding is that in late April, they will meet again to review uh, what was learned or at least started in this investigation. But uh, that, I don't know, this is all just not looking good for MTS. This is not an agency that was committed to a, a, a dealing with a complaint and investigating it with the urgency it might have deserved. Yeah, I mean, look, if, it, if this thing played out the way they said it played out, then they will no doubt have ample documentation of such, and they'll they'll really be able to clear their name. And if not, then not. And, you know. And if there was like if there was like a a, a hashtag, you know, like the, why was Grecia Figueroa fired? Yeah. Yeah. Why was she fired? Yeah. That that needs to be they 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 have not yet pointed to something that says well, she stole money or she right. did there's nothing like she that punched right. Punch someone. Yeah. Right? yeah. Like and it's going to need to be that or they're in they're, they're going to they're going to lose a lot of money and they're going to face a lot of fallout and i don't know how i don't know how uh it's going to it's going to get better and i don't see any indication that uh that that the board has learned anything about uh how well this was handled since then so so uh in terms of your question of ongoing yeah. uh items of public significance i would say also at this point so there, there has been a, a second woman came forward and spoke to NBC. Mm-hmm. Um, was she was an intern? Well, she was in college at UCSD at uh, a nonprofit that was founded by Fletcher, um, and she describes, uh, you know, unwanted and inappropriate interactions between him and her. And uh, at this point, if I was UCSD, where Nathan Fletcher teaches college courses. Uh, and the county of San Diego, where he was actually full-time employed as a county supervisor and board chair for a number of years, I would be taking it on my own volition to launch an investigation into his interactions with any other employees or students or other people. Um, I, you know, it maybe it only happened with Grecia, and maybe it only happened with this other woman, or maybe both of these allegations will prove to be incorrect. But if I was his employer and all of this was happening around me, I probably would want to get my own answers to those questions. Yeah, it, it's on a maybe different scale, but UCSD is now dealing with the same sort of basket of issues that MTS is. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, another issue of ongoing interest is we still don't have any clarity about exactly what role Lorena Gonzalez has played in this. So Lorena Gonzalez is Nathan Fletcher's wife. She is also uh, the leader of the Labor Federation in California, the largest union of unions in California. Uh, you know, probably the most prominent labor leader in in the state of California, which is a big state. Mm-hmm. And uh, she is alleged in this lawsuit to have been a part of a of a of a threat campaign. When it surfaced in this in this known world of people where they're seeing this happen, to to try to um, get this woman to drop it, right? And so, what are we going to learn about that? 
and how significant that is. And that's still, uh, we haven't gotten a lot of answers about that. And we're looking forward to more details on that issue. And then I think the le- the next one is what happens from here. So last week you highlighted uh, and actually did the calculation of how much it was worth for Fletcher to stay in the office for the next six weeks. Today, uh, a city councilwoman um, actually demanded, San Diego City Councilwoman Vivian Moreno demanded that he leave now. She said she should resign immediately. And I'm surprised that hasn't, and uh, we should say County Supervisor Jim Desmond said the same right. when, mm-hmm. when he responded to Nathan's announcement. I'm surprised that hasn't become a little bit more of a demand among uh, the public. Yeah, so as you found out last week, uh, uh, it's basically prorated his salary. It's worth $25,000 for him to stay in that seat for that period of time. Probably has other benefits for uh, health insurance and and expenses of all kinds. Cashing in uh, leave time that he may have. Now, there are some circulating conspiracy theories that he's trying to stay in that role for, for some specific votes. The biggest of which is that the county needs to choose its new executive, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, Helen Robbins-Meyer, Robbins yeah. she is the uh, CAO, it's called the Chief Administrative Officer for the county. Now the county, unlike the city, runs on a sort of manager system, right? That the board of directors, the board of supervisors, the five-member board, hires a CAO to oversee almost all, not quite all, but most of the county employees. Yeah, more it's more similar to how Sandag is run uh, with a board that oversees a strong structure or MTS or the Port of San Diego. Yeah, or, or most cities. Most right? cities, most cities, yeah. And Helen Robin Meyer is, is the uh, sort of protege of the previous uh, CAO, long-running uh, CAO of the county, Walt Eckerd. And they've been known for years as like stable, right? They're very stable leadership at the county, and so she had planned to leave her post last week and announced to county employees that she was going to stay in that post because things have gotten a little weird. There's been some changes <laughs> as a county. Things have gotten a little weird. Some shenanigans. And so she's going to stay in that post for a little while longer. But uh, there was apparently a top candidate for this seat mm-hmm. um, and uh, a well-known person in labor circles across the state, a woman named Cindy Chavez, who uh, is a Santa Clara County supervisor about her being a top candidate for this post. And so there were people putting it together like, oh, he's going to try to stay in for a few weeks because he wants her to get the job and he's going to actually make that. Now, that would be some moxie. Not only (laughs) on his part, but on anybody who joined him to make that decision. And her. Yeah, you know, do you, I mean, do you to, want to take that job in that way? Yeah. I, I mean, particularly if he's casting the decisive vote that would other in a three-two standoff. Yeah, if the board's unanimous behind a new executive, and they, they it's four-zero it. instead of five-zero, that's that whatever. Right, but if 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 he sticks around so that he can be the deciding vote, she begins her job with the cloak of scandal. All over her. Yeah. Well, but and I, it will. I know it would be hard to ever imagine it coming off. But how much control of that does she have? Well, she could. I mean, a lot. I would. If say. it's not you, not unanimous. I mean, yeah, I would say people in this position would could often say, "I will only take the job if it's unanimous." I'm not. I'm not walking into a mm-hmm. splintered 
you know, I have options. I don't, I don't need a job that where you're going to have to play political hardball to get me through, you know? I think it's pretty unrealistic that he would do something like this. But every time I say something like that, people are like, well, you never thought I'd do whatever. And yeah. I'm like, yeah, that's a great point. You're yeah, right. Like, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Great point. No, no, no. I mean, the people who that would, that it would come down to, if, if that happens, so like set Fletcher aside, let, let's, let's say he's capable of anything. He would happily be, be exactly yeah. this brazen. The people who then would need to answer for it in that case would be the other two people who vote for it, vote to, to put, Cindy Chavez in this position. Cindy Chavez herself would need to answer for whether, you know, the circumstances under which she received the job and the other two people who, who, you know, were willing to, to bring this person out of the bullpen to come cast the decisive vote would need to, to answer for why they didn't think it was appropriate to reset the, the, the process. So presumably that would be Tara Lawson rumor and, 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 uh, nor Vargas, although you know, they haven't done it yet, so I, I feel guilty yeah. casting aspersions at them for something that has only been rumored to right. be the something point they're is, right? This appointment is very important. Yes. It now hangs in doubt, and it could be several months for this otherwise, again, known as a stable operating organization yeah. to be sort of uncertain about who's going to lead it into the future. Yeah. And uh, this was after, again, they were. it was a stable operating organization under Republican guidance for 20 years. Yeah. And then Nathan in in particular came in and reformed the organization in in a with democratic priorities, with his priorities around labor, about social welfare, around behavioral health priorities around and then of course COVID happened. And so this organization has has been disrupted tremendously and looks like it will be even more. Yeah. And I, I would just say, like, to think about the things you can do because you have the votes and then to ask yourself whether you should do them. Mm-hmm. I, I would just think <laughs> about Sandag. Yeah. Think about all of the things that have happened at Sandag because they did have the votes. And it, it doesn't, you know, a, a minority voting block can still cause lots of problems. Yeah. Even if they don't have the votes to stop something. Yeah. And it, so does Sandag this, hasn't this, been a, a factory of good policy and progress and progress right exactly and so does is this the direction that the county wants to go in if 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 in fact they they say well you know you bring nathan out all he has to do is is shut up and come and vote. cast a decisive vote and then walk away oh man what a scene that would, it would be. be like weekend at bernie's it's, like just i mean even as we're saying it it's hard to imagine anyone involved thinking that that would be worth doing oh, dude that, that is, would be crazy those meetings are already pretty intense yeah it's, oh, it would be it would just be a, a spectacle unlike anything it, like an act of almost political aggression unlike anything I've ever seen. Yeah. I mean, it's 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 absolute brass knuckle politics to just say we've got a way to do it. Now that all that said, like for all we know, Jewel Anderson thinks this is a perfectly good hire. Yeah. He's on board with it. You have no need <laughs> for the Nathan Fletcher. He stays resigned. Even with the four four person board of supervisors, they come in and they get three votes. Or for all we know, Jim Desmond likes it too, and he's willing to go with it. Yeah. And you got four votes. I mean, like, there's so much speculation going on here. But just for the the sake of what people have been asking about whether there's any significance to this vote and his May fifteenth resignation date, I think it's worth gaming out what that would actually be like if they were probably to go an easier explanation it. that he just wanted an off ramp, yeah, uh, with resources. 
All right. Uh, the next question that comes up is how they replace him on the board. Uh, we've talked about this. They have tremendous options. Mm-hmm. They could appoint somebody. They would all have to agree on that person. And with two Democrats, two Republicans, that might be difficult, uh, especially for the remaining three years. And none of them represent that district. They, they all represent different districts and would have to choose somebody to represent that district. Uh, so that might be difficult, but on the other hand, they could say like, you know, you can't run for the seat or something or, or try to get some pledge that they can't. What are, um, what are the rules for appointing someone? Is that similar to like what other cities do where like people apply and then yeah, consider just like they did in Chula Vista. Uh-huh. Yeah. They would, okay. uh, they could do interviews. They could do the whole shebang. Uh, the next, obviously they could schedule a special election. We talked about that. Uh, Janessa Goldbeck has already said she wants to run in said election, right? Have there been others? Not yet. Uh, we've spec- been a lot of speculation and rumors about who would like to jump in, but no, right. no one has. So that's an interesting uh, question going forward. The election would probably occur before the end of the year, which would still give that person more than two years in office, which I think I'm almost certain would count as a full term. And thus, they could only serve the rest of this term and one more term in that seat. Yeah. Now, there, this it like does speed things along from where they were going. To, like, there was already a lot of speculation about an open county supervisor seat because Nathan Fletcher was expected to run for state senate. Yeah. And it, now that meant he was running. He was actively running for something, but his seat was not vacant. It wouldn't become vacant until he won. Now it's going to become vacant on May 15th, which will speed up that, the process of, of, you know, putting, uh, of replacing him there. Mm-hmm. And then there will still be a state Senate seat, which we also have news about uh, today, which is that Akilah Weber, who is a state assembly member in an overlapping district, is going to run for that state Senate seat. Additionally, like almost right after that announcement came through, La Mesa Councilman Colin Parent announced that he would be running for the assembly seat that Akilah Weber <laughs> is is leaving. Uh, so uh, I, I said that the dominoes are falling. I think actually musical chairs is a better. Uh, is- no, because musical chairs, you take a chair away. There are new openings occurring. Oh, yeah. It's, it's dominoes. It's a, one thing yeah. happened, another thing now happening. Now there's. Yeah. It would be like musical chairs if you just didn't take the chairs away. Then that's everyone just changed that's just chairs. chairs. That's just chairs. Well, you can still have music to it. <laughs> but you see, you just run around. There's no and elimination. It's just everyone. It's like millennial music. I do chairs. that with the with the softball <laughs> girls where we will put balls in a circle and they have to go around and then you stop the music and you take a ball out and they have to dive for the ball. It's good. They love it. You use every opportunity to plug in your softball coaching it's, skills. It's a very big part of my life. Very. <laughs> Casual dunk. Uh, thanks, Lopez. <laughs> Have you learned to ride a bike yet? <laughs> no. We're going to take a quick break. Stay with us. Are you passionate about resolving conflicts and making positive impact in the world? Then USD's Conflict Management and Resolution Master's Program may be for you. 
Learn to address conflicts at all levels, from personal disputes to global crises. Join the Croc School's dedicated community, fostering peace and understanding while you acquire practical skills to navigate diverse settings. Apply now and be the change you want to see in the world. Visit sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. That's sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. Join culture creator Ramel Wallace, museum CEO Micah Parson, philanthropist Erwin Jacobs, and urban agriculturist Diane Moss on season two of Stop and Talk, a podcast about the future of the San Diego region. How can we create a vibrant region that celebrates our cultural richness and economic strength? Find out and hear other San Diego experts on Stop and Talk. Discover seasons one and two now at stopandtalkpodcast.com. That's stopandtalkpodcast.com. Okay, now there is one person in the county who has, I think, and this always happens with these scandals where something opens up and it shines a light on somebody who was just like, Chilling. An alternate or, you know, to just on the side and, and suddenly they have to lead or not like they don't they don't step up. And that is now Stephen Whitburn's position. He's a city councilman. He represents downtown San Diego. He uh, was already putting himself into uh, these more intense situations by. Uh, trying to show some leadership on homelessness, right? So he is, he presented the idea of setting aside a large area, which everybody's been talking about, about Inspiration Point uh, for... Um, a safe uh, campsite. A safe campsite for the homeless. He was also talking in, in conjunction with that safe campsite. He was proposing a new city ordinance that would aggressively increase the city's ability to force people to stop camping. Right. To, to clear sidewalks, to clear encampments, um, and that the you know the idea would be you can do that now because you can tell them there's a place to you, go. there's a place to go. You can't. You, but you also, go home, but you can't adding even in that ordinance, adding even if there is no shelter, it would be illegal to camp near schools, schools, churches, churches. shelters, yeah. parks. Right. So he's in the middle of that. He now is the acting chair of MTS. So everything that happens at MTS is something he needs to help guide, if not guide himself, which is this agency is going to go through some things. And he's going he's gonna to be in a position to either set it up for success in the future or keep watching it tumble down this vortex of scandal. And he wants to run... I think for this county seat or for the Senate seat or maybe nothing. Yeah. I mean, long before we uh, went through all of the stuff that we've been going through the last two weeks, he was an oft rumored name to become involved when, in once these dominoes started falling that the, the county supervisor seat overlaps his city council district and that he may be one of the people who jumps in to run for that seat. Um, he hasn't yet. Um, and maybe he won't. Maybe he's happy to, to be where he is. Uh, but cer- certainly that's hanging over this. Right? But that's a lot of things to be juggling. While at the same time, yeah. his chief of staff, Jesus Cardenas, just resigned under a cloud of scandal. 
Yes. Now we will get into that in a sec, but let's talk first about the homeless safe camping site at Inspiration Point. We had some fun a couple weeks ago about Inspiration Point, the front door of Balboa Park. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, this is the area, the vast parking lot. When you go on park uh, up past City College on the right there, there's a lot of uh, uh, area, and that's where they were thinking would be a great spot to put hundreds of people who need a safe place to be and then tell them they can't be elsewhere in Balboa Park and nearby, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, he is dealing with the challenge of setting aside that area, the the front door of Pablo Park. Pablo Park uh, institutions. Yeah, are very upset about that and the idea of, of, of a safe spot being there. Now, you went to a recent community meeting where one of his representatives spoke and she was she was telling people to calm down. Yeah. So I went to the Uptown Planners uh, community group and planning group and um, one of his policy advisors was there and she was there to talk about Inspiration Point. Um Though she was there to talk about Inspiration Point, it was important to point out that Inspiration Point has not been chosen officially, right? Uh, City staff are still looking at other locations for possible safe camping sites, but we're here to talk about Inspiration Point, but it has not been chosen. And if it is chosen, but it has not been chosen, it's going to roll out slowly. You know, lots of numbers have been thrown out. Thousands of people will be here. That's not the case. It's going to roll out slowly. Uh, but again, we have not chosen Inspiration Point. Oh, and by the way, of course, this is tied to the ordinance that would make it illegal to camp on any public street. Um, but that's coming soon. That's coming really fast. That's coming first. Mm-hmm. And we won't even decide on a safe campsite until maybe the fall. So that's that's a really big admission, right? Yeah. So she's saying like this thing that's controversial that you're worried about, mm-hmm. don't worry. We're not going to do that until we do the thing that might be more acceptable to you which is to clean these areas out right Mm -hmm. but the whole point of them being able to clean things up would be to have a safe place to go and so it's it's this classic like guns and butter situation right the the guns and butter idea is like that this this country will always be happy doing uh, war and buying guns and uh, butter, the giving people things, right? That they're never going to make people choose between those. And that's what they're doing here. They're saying like, hey, don't worry. We're not going to make you do the hard thing. Mm-hmm. We're just going to do the thing you want. Yeah. And so that was really, that's a really interesting. Yeah. I mean, it was interesting. And and some of the concern from people there, I mean, there was this one person who was like, um, Balboa Park is already a safe campsite. Like go out there and yeah. there's already people there because it's central, Right. And it's safe because there's lighting. And so, you know, there's some shelter if it's raining, there's water, there's restrooms. Like, it's already a safe campsite. So why not just provide this, like, instead of having them around the museums, why not just have them at this parking lot that people don't really use or, you know, is often empty and it's hidden from all of that. Right. Um, But then other people were, you know, concerned, like, well, the park rangers already have trouble getting people out. It's like, yeah, the idea is to provide somewhere for them to be. Right. Um. It's just fascinating the the you know conversations around it. So that's going on now. Stephen Whitburn is trying to do a lot of big things. That's a difficult thing. Running MTS is a difficult thing. That would all be hard enough with a good chief of staff. But now his chief of staff has left. Tell us about Jesus Cardenas and why he has now left that spot. So Jesus Cardenas was one of the more 
prominent local Democratic campaign strategists. He had a firm grassroots resources. It, he ran lots of different um, campaigns in, in this county. Uh, he also did lots of work for the San Diego County Democratic Party, you know, the parties hire consultants to do a lot of their business. And so it was sort of a big deal even when Stephen Whitburn hired him as his chief of staff after Jesus Cardenas ran Stephen Whitburn's campaign, sort of immediately opened the question of whether he would keep running his business, how that would work, given what sorts of decisions the city council would make that might be involved with certain things that he was running. Yeah, you might remember we, we had his sister on our podcast, live podcast in Chula Vista. Mm-hmm. We had to, we asked her about uh, how the business that that she was a part of could be taking business from uh, marijuana dispensaries and mm-hmm. cannabis dispensaries in that area while she was also setting policy on that. It's a it's a difficult balance. It's just a fundamental conflict of interest potentially mm-hmm. that they were always going to have to handle. Um, and so those questions were sort of hanging in the air and not entirely resolved, I would say. And then in February, uh, the San Diego Union Tribune reported uh, very some sharp reporting uh, that grassroots resources had been suspended about a year earlier by this by a state franchise tax board uh, for not paying its taxes, apparently. Um, and even though that business was suspended, Jesus Cardenas uh it was revealed his that company had done about $200,000 worth of consulting work for the San Diego County Democratic Party, which was revealed because the San Diego County Democratic Party filed its required disclosures. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there were questions about like they were doing biz. It was apparently doing business while uh, this suspension was underway. What was going on? How, did, did that mean he broke state law? brought back all these related conflicts of interest concerns. Basically, right? you don't want public officials or people who are serving them to be able to get money straight into their pocket from people who are trying to do business in the public interest or out, you know, in the public sphere. And there's like a, a certain like recusal process yeah. for if you're going to vote on something that you might have an interest in mm-hmm. and you could you could step aside and not vote on those things. But when you're doing, you know, like like if you were like a landlord right like you you before you were elected to city council you had a number of properties and a very specific vote was coming up that had to do with one of your properties you could recuse yourself from voting on something that would but but a political consultancy is going to have like a wide range of things that they may be involved in and things that they tangentially may be involved in or that are downstream, you know, that are hard to predict what they're involved in. And there's no easy way to recuse as a chief of staff. Your your influence is not in voting. It's in directing the work of your office. So how do you, how would you recuse? It, it was it was just a, a difficult ball to untangle from the beginning. Yeah. Um, and then the Union Tribune did this reporting that suggested even beyond that it seems like they were doing business when they were supposed to be suspended for not paying their taxes and uh with that cloud of uncertainty hanging over it he resigned on monday and he's not working and so stephen whitburn doesn't have a chief of staff right now so stephen whitburn is involved in several of the biggest things the biggest crises the biggest dilemmas and difficult leadership challenges uh that exist in san diego yeah and he's doing it all now without a chief of staff yeah, no, I presume they're going to hire one or promote somebody from within. There and- might be some people from Fletcher's office. <laughs> Just a lot of a lot of people over there probably looking for a new job. Yeah. 
Thanks for listening to the Voice of San Diego podcast, the most popular public affairs podcast that you turn to to help you understand all of the various crises, dilemmas, and drama in San Diego City politics and regional politics. You do it here with the best. Don't forget about that link, vosd.org slash podpeople. I need support for this organization, for all these people who work so hard. We are dealing with a lot of extra costs and uh, a lot of uh, interesting economic ramifications. If you give $3 a month or $35 a year, you become a voice member and you get free access to our next live podcast and other benefits. We've raised $105,000 so far during this campaign. We have a lot more, though, to go. You can help us get there. Again, that's vosd.org slash podpeople. That's vosd.org slash podpeople. Give us a note. We'll see if we can read it. I'm Scott Lewis, CEO and Editor-in-Chief at Voice of San Diego. Andrea Lopez Villafania is the Managing Editor, and Andrew Keats is our Managing Editor as well. Nate John is a producer. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week. <laughs>